and welcome to another exciting and informative episode of The Rogues in the House, a podcast focusing on the love of all things sword and sorcery, delivered with 100% enthusiasm by self-proclaimed experts. So grab a seat by the fire and fill your tankard because the rogues are in the house. Welcome, Matt and Matt. Hell yeah. We've What's got uh, we've got another Matt on here. That is Matt's excited. <laughs> <laughs> we are here with uh, Matt Murray, and if you don't know who Matt Murray is right now, you will. And he's actually uh, he's a kind of an important figure in uh, the future of yeah no you are uh, in terms of the future of a particular barbarian and a particular author's works. So. Matt Murray, you are your actual title is editor at Heroic Signatures, correct? That is absolutely correct. And for the record, I just want to say I make no promises about being either exciting or informative. Um, so <laughs> as long as we could just make it through this, I'll be excited. And uh, that's about that. Yeah, my uh, my title is I'm the editor at Heroic Signatures, and. Uh, what does that mean? That means that um, whatever comes out in terms of uh, print in prose, comic books, uh, and interestingly enough, audiobooks, uh, that has to pass through my uh, filthy little fingers and uh, have to figure out what to do with that and how to best get it out to the waiting world. Yeah, and, and he's talking specifically about the uh, works of one Robert E. Howard and the associated characters. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Heroic Signatures does have, you know, we have an extensive catalog of IP. Um, but that's jewel, true. That's the, true. The jewel in that crown is, of course, uh, the Robert E. Howard works. Uh, you know, CPI is, you know, a, a subsidiary of Heroic Signatures um, and has been owned and managed and uh, by the people who employ me. Uh, who uh, have gone under various names throughout the 20 years of their stewardship. But right now we're calling ourselves heroic signatures. And uh, right now we're getting ready. We're looking at the next year in terms of relaunching um, new novels, new stories, new comics, and uh, hopefully some other interesting tidbits. Well, hopefully mm -hmm. we can delve into that here in a little bit. We'll see. We'll see yeah. what I can talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even <laughs> though, even though, even though after a, a panel at Howard days, I became famous for, for not saying anything, but saying everything. So we'll see if we see if we can recreate that magic here, or if I can. <laughs> it was it was a pretty uh, agile uh, take that you had oh, there. You. I gotta say, yeah. Thank um, you for, for a large man. I pride I pride myself on my agility. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it always makes me think of uh, when you when you stat yourself out with D and D stats, um, but you don't do that because you're not a game guy. Actually, no, I am not a game guy. Thank you for calling me out on that. And wow. Um, <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah, I am not a gamer. Um, uh, I am neither a, a video gamer nor a tabletop gamer. The only thing I am good at or have any preference to do is Tetris. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, 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 I've dabbled. I've dipped my toe in, into the gaming things uh, just because I am, I am a nerd. And yeah. I like to, you know, kind of, you know, test out different things and, uh, you know, like to consider myself a well-rounded nerd. But, um, you know, gaming required, you know, especially recently when I tried to get back into it, you know, I, I played D&D when I was a kid. Um, you know, my brother was four years older than me and we're talking about the 1980s. 
So, you know, he, you know, he basically, you know, was at the DM and had all the kids over and all this other stuff. And I would be the, the annoying little brother, basically, uh, basically like the little girl in stranger things, um, you know, who'd be, you know, four years younger than, than the, the other kids, eight years old playing D and D uh, and, you know, I don't know if that carries any kind of trauma with it in terms of my going back to it, but I tried going back to it recently, but unfortunately I just didn't have the time. Um, yeah. You know, it's, I mean, it, it takes a lot. Yeah, it does. And that's kind of what's happening to me too, is the time for gaming has to be the time where I'm actually working on a game because <laughs> yeah. I just don't, just don't have, just don't have it. Um, I love that stranger things brought that in, by the way, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but having the younger brother or sister who tagged along, that's like yeah. a hallmark of D and D games. I think. It's also a hallmark of eighties, uh, Oh, 80s yes. entertainment and i mean you know it's something that you know it's funny because roughly age-wise my brother would have been the age of the stranger things kids and i would have been the age of the the little sister and that and probably just as uh you know obnoxious and annoying to my brother <laughs> as uh as as the little sister is on that show fair so we're gonna get back to uh matt murray here in a minute he's gonna uh well we're gonna talk several little things yeah um but we, before we even go into our regular bizarre of the, no, see, bizarre. Uh, <laughs> it's hard, bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is, it is. The, the bizarre of the bizarre. Before we go into that, I have to point out that uh, we have released a book of blades, which is this long gestating uh, project we've had through the podcast where we got some established friends um, to contribute stories uh, generously. Um, and so we've got essentially an anthology of some really banging reprints, um, but also some fresh tales from many folks. Um, this is me telling you it's out now and I want you to buy it. It is um, one day old as of this recording, correct? That's right, one day old. Um, yeah. And it is a, it is a, it is a fundraiser for the podcast, essentially, which is why we were seeking uh, free works because we want to be able to purchase things like um, art, potentially equipment, logos, advertising, um, essentially to boost this platform for all the people we have on it um, and everyone in our little community here. So a book of blades is out now. It's on Amazon. You can get it. I think it might be, you might need to search rogues in the house, colon, a book of blades or the reverse. But it's out, so that's exciting. And um, hey, you know, Matt John, yeah. when I bought my copy physically, print on demand, but I understand that it's also available, you know, via PDF and Kindle and download and stuff like that. I just mm -hmm. followed the link on Facebook because I follow you guys on Facebook, and I clinked that Amazon link. I purchased my copy for fourteen ninety nine, print on demand, at Amazon. Yes, a book of blades <laughs> by the Rogues in the House podcast available now. And thanks to and you, we are we what number? We are number fifty on the Amazon best-selling list for the genre. Is that correct? Well, yeah, uh, fantasy anthologies today. We were right behind um, the Velveteen Rabbit spot. Yeah, we're behind the Velveteen Rabbit, but uh, beating one of the Witcher books, which was cool. There you go. 
So I don't know. I don't know how much, I don't know what that translates to, but I think take it for a win, Matt, take it. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. I love the support. It's awesome. Um, and we will take any, uh, smurducks that we get from that and we'll pour them into the show, maybe for future volumes, maybe to actually pay people, uh, who knows, but yeah, now this is totally tongue in cheek and I'm ribbing Matt here, but if you could have read the dialogue of the whip cracking, and 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 task mastering that Matt gave to Logan. Get this job done now. I don't Not care true. if you're going on vacation to another country. Get it done now. <laughs> <laughs> you're like exposing me like I'm Ellen DeGeneres or something behind exactly. the scenes on this yeah. vicious creature. Matt is a very kind <laughs> and generous person up front, but behind the scenes, he is an act, an absolute devil. I'm not <laughs> even Canadian. <laughs> That's what it takes to be an editor, though, isn't it, MJ? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, which I'm not, for the record. I did not like edit that book. That was a combined effort, and we had a lot of tales that have already been through editors' hands in it because they're reprints. So, yeah. Uh, no. But yeah, I think overall, what I would say is, if you are interested in sword and sorcery, especially uh, what it's doing now, um, or has been doing for several years, it's an excellent sampler of of uh, writers who are all turning in really good work. And many of those um, writers have been on this podcast. Yes, they have. And we will, um, this week, I think starting on social media, I'm going to start rolling out each day. I will highlight um, a different contributor. So if you're on Facebook, have a look at those, post some likes, keep things, uh, keep things moving. Now, let's all have a puff or a sip and step in to the bazaar of the bazaar. Okay, we have entered into our favorite little uh, place. So, Matt, I'm not sure if you know what – well, you follow us. You know what the bazaar of the bazaar is. Something which, matter we, you, which matter are you talking to? Our guest. I'm sorry. I'm guest. I, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's hard to – I'm looking at you, and I'm assuming you're looking back at me, blah, blah, blah. So um, you got anything for the bazaar that's kind of piqued your interest of late, something you want to just kind of – Throw out there to our listening well, uh, audience. Why don't, why don't you guys jump in, and I'll I'll come in at the end, and and I'll I'll, I'll give me a think because you know it's it's uh sure it's been an interesting time over the past few months. You know okay. I've kind of been almost completely submerged in uh, in reh, so it's mm. kind of hard to think of things out. But you you jump in, and if I, at the end I'll try and be like, oh yeah, this stuff. Yeah, well I'll go. Sounds I'll good. Go. go, Dean. You got um, some. Yeah. Well, as we posted, or I believe you posted earlier. The trailer for season two of Spear and Fang is out. Oh, yeah. And oh, my gosh, it looks amazing. Hold on. Um, it's called what? Primal. Primal, sorry. Yes. Primal. But the yes. characters are the called character Spear, Spear and Fang. The characters Spear and Fang. Yes, yes. My mistake. Which, which it was is an honest mistake. To, uh, it has to be a reference to the first Robert E. Howard has story that he sold. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, anyways, carry on. But the trailer looks amazing. Um, uh, Spear the neanderthal looks like he's started to encounter some true civilization in his mm -hmm. world and that maybe he's more of the neanderthal and the homo sapiens are starting to rise and yeah. it, it looks very very cool i love that the show is it takes sort of what a, a six-year-old thinks of prehistoric mm -hmm. times yeah. right and then just makes it all happen yeah and it's it's right. the most sword and sorcery thing 
on television, I think by a long shot. Um, and I think it's the closest thing to, you know, uh, Conan or Conan like stories, uh, that we are getting. It is mm-hmm. it's the best show of its kind. Yeah. And I would love, I'd love to see, uh, what's her name? Tarkin. Gandhi Tartakovsky, yes, who is you. a huge REH fan. I mean, if you saw yeah. if you saw Samurai Jack, yeah, which yeah. is basically you know, which is its own kind of take on Conan and 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 REH stuff. Um, I mean, that's that's undeniably REH influenced, and so is Primal. Um, yeah, but Gandhi Tartakovsky is an admitted and acknowledged REH nut. Yeah, I would love love to see him uh, do something there, especially where we're hearing murmurs of, you know, uh, things happening at Netflix and the words that Fred has spoken about animated projects. I would love to see someone like that with the true love get in on that. So uh, I'd love to see him on this. I'd love to see him on this podcast. Maybe we can reach out. Not well him too, (laughs) but uh, uh, Gendy. How do you say his last name again? Gendy Tartakovsky. There you go. You got to say it with the Is he accent. Russian? Uh, yeah. I don't know if he was born in Russia, but yeah. That that sure sounds Russian. But you know, he's he's. I think he's been here for for a considerable amount of time. I believe I believe he's an American. Yeah. Okay. Come on, Matt. Well, you got he's listening to the show. I I don't have those connections. <laughs> Matt Murray's got better connections than I do now. Actually, he's always had better connections than me. He'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> okay so yeah dean i echo your thoughts wicked primal let's go and that's soon man that's like yeah very soon like that might yeah very soon so that's exciting um for me i'm just gonna put out there because i am attending gen con this year i wasn't sure if i was attending gen con but it seems like now it is 100%. I have a badge. I've got a hotel. I just got to buy the old flights. Um, Monolith is going to send Gilles and I. Um, we're going to, you know, bump around, see what we see, um, play some games, hopefully, talk to some people, have some meetings. And I will be on a few panels at the Writer's Symposium, which, uh, what do we got? For two on Friday, one on Saturday. I'll post those up um, as we get closer to the date so people can know. Come say hi if you listen. We will talk some rogues in the house. We'll talk about uh, how to essentially gamify fiction, right? Which is something we kind of talked about at Howard Days as well. Um, And yeah, so it's going to be dope. Which panel will that be? The gamify? I think it's uh, actually called gamifying fiction. Okay. I'll have to go online and take a look. Yeah, I think it's uh, like two o'clock or something, four o'clock maybe on Friday. I got to check. Okay. Um, but yeah, that'll be fun. And Dean will be there. We'll meet mm-hmm. in the flesh again. Um, we'll play some games, get some photo ops, and have a good time. And hopefully, we'll even make a live recording from the floors of Gen Con. Yes, I think it, the next episode may even be that if we don't squeeze one in beforehand. Hopefully, right? Yeah. We must say that the reason Logan's not here today is because Logan is on vacation. He is out of the country, spending time uh, with family and hopefully having a good time. Yeah, in Mexico, I think. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Mexico City. Fun times. So we're bumping around Mexico City. I'm sure you can find Logan. He looks like Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah. From Jaws. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Matt Murray, your moment has come. Do you got something? Uh, Well, 
you know, uh, I'm going to be at uh, San Diego Comic Con. Yes. Uh, and I will be moderating, moderating a panel on uh, Conan on Thursday morning at 1230. Um, kind of interested in seeing how that turns out. Uh, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people are going, but a lot of people aren't going to SDCC. You know, like there's a, you know, people are starting to get a little, a little antsy about COVID surges and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's just uh, an interesting time for conventions to be reopening, but I'm glad they are uh, yeah. after, you know, almost like three years of nothing. Um, and uh, I'll be, I'll be nosing around Comic-Con and uh, introducing myself to uh, some new uh, business partners and so on and so forth. And uh, as far as what I'm like watching or, or things like that, um, uh, yeah, man. For the past few months, I have just been completely uh, submerged in the works of Robert E. Howard um, because uh, there's going to be an expected output at some point <laughs> in terms of turning those around into being uh, new books and new pastiche novels, which we have coming out, new comics, which we have coming out, and new adaptations and uh hopefully some re- reissues of some old fan favorites. Um, so basically I've been catching up on like 90 years of reading uh, mm-hmm. and I've been submerged in that, but otherwise um, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm kind of a, a, a Shakespeare dork. So I, I balanced that out with uh, listening to uh, Shakespeare adaptations on the vinyl because I'm that kind of deep. Cut wow. That is yeah. cool. Yeah, I chased yeah, I down it. like I chased down a collection of uh, recordings that were released in the 1960s, and thanks to the powers of eBay, by the powers of eBay, um, <laughs> I uh, was able to assemble a full collection of these uh, of these Shakespeare recordings, and that's kind of that's kind of how I relax, if that's relaxing at all. That and I play with toys. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. So yeah. a couple things came up here. Yeah, there's, uh, a, there's, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of meat on that bone. So let's go for it, kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I would say, uh, if if your 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 pick from the bazaar today is that you're reading a bunch of Robert E. Howard. Yeah. Um, nobody on this show is going to be like, <laughs> what? Yeah, I think they're probably going to be like, "Oh, that, that's good. That's a good." Yeah. Thing. Well, mm-hmm. that's yeah. um, if if you're going to if you're going to be in charge of uh, in charge of the property to a certain extent, uh, yeah, you better read that crap. <laughs> yeah. So I think I got a I think I got a bit of a segue here um, because this will this will have to do with Conan Camp. But Matt and I met uh, recently when I was at Howard Days, and I, <laughs> just in terms of his playing with toys and his uh, Masters of the Universe reference for a moment uh... ago. He and I started talking about it quickly. He looked at me just dead serious, almost like a, a haunted look. And he was like, <laughs> dude, I can't even talk about this. Like, you don't know what happened to me with Masters of the Universe classics. He's like, <laughs> I spent too much money. I was like, I was, oh, I was spending rent money on Masters of the yeah. Universe classics. Like there was, there was, there was a busting down of the savings. Once he got into like the third level of, uh, of club Grayskull or whatever he called it where it was just like okay we got we're gonna finish out the master's line we're gonna do this and we're gonna do the toy we're gonna do the, the cartoon line we're gonna do this and we're gonna do the anniversary line and this is gonna happen yeah. and you're dropping 45 dollars uh 
a month at least, if not, you know, when there weren't two figure releases or when you had to buy Granamere or, you know, the $300 Castle Grayskull or this or that. Yeah. Um, I got myself into some financial problems Ooh. trying to collect Masters of the Universe classics. And then at the end of the day, um, you know, thanks to all the exclusives and the, you know, the, the PowerCon stuff. And then when they swap, switched over to Super 7, I didn't even end up with the whole line, which, of course, as a collector is just one of those things where it, it short circuits you. Um, you know, when you just sit there and you're like, I can't, I don't have, I don't have it. And I, I had to cut myself off from, uh, from Masters of the Universe for like a year. I just I couldn't even engage in any way, shape or form just because, yeah. uh, you know, the collector, the, 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 the collector defect uh, would just kick in. Um, and at the you know, it's 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 a, it's a tough subject, man, because <laughs> I, I love me some He-Man. It was it was it was I have photos that I can share if you want to if you want to put them up in terms of plugging it where I'm like, you know, walking around in uh, red and yellow underoos, underpants and uh, belts <laughs> strapped across my chest. And I got my little fat belly hanging out and I'm like five years old with like a plastic sort of power and a shield. And I was completely committed to He-Man. I still have my Castle Grayskull from when I was, you know, four or five. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, uh, oversharing moment, oversharing moment. Um, Christmas, oh God, 82, 83, whenever it came out. Um, Faker is the reason, oh God, spoilers, kids. Faker is the reason why I know there really isn't a Santa Claus. Um, my aforementioned older brother and I were fighting, uh, and, um, my mother who is completely frazzled by this and had tried to, to stop it, uh, a number of times, um, stepped in on, on a particularly, uh, you know, boisterous, uh, kerfuffle between my brother and myself. And I turned to my brother and I said, Look, man, you know, if, if, if we keep this up, Santa Claus won't deliver the toys. At which point she dragged me upstairs to her bedroom, opened the closet and said, Oh, no, I'm Santa Claus <laughs> and proceeded, proceeded to shove Faker in my face. <laughs> and there was the death of my childhood right there. <laughs> So that's odd. I mean, that's there's 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 a lot going on with He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Um, but I, I still yeah. love it. I still, you know, I, I mean, it was my and it was it, it was my inroad to to Conan and and Robert E. Howard too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for uh, so many, that's the case. For so many, yeah. I mean, you know, and and then when you and then when you look at the history and you find out that He-Man the the property was, you know, well, yeah, I don't know yeah. how much how you can get into that legally or blah blah blah. But let's just say that there were a lot of similarities that were actually taken to court. Yeah, and, they uh, put it. They put it in documentaries too um, yeah. about that. So it's kind of on the record from now, I think. Yeah, but, but you know, uh, speak, speaking as an speaking as now an official, yeah, uh, member of uh, of a company that was involved in that lawsuit. I don't know how far I can discuss things without you know. Yeah. But um, if you we look at to. yeah, if you but the thing is, you know what I love? I love this new thing that they're doing now, where they're taking. Uh, they did it with classics too, where they where they're releasing figures based on the original concept art, and mm -hmm. you can you can see the DNA of He Man. 
Um, oh, yeah. But right now there are, you know, there's a wave of figures called, called New Eternia, yeah. um, which is out where it's like, you know, all right, well, you know, they changed the, the hair the, of the original drawing from, from black to blonde, but you know who He-Man is and yeah. you know, you know that Skeletor is still Sadoom. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. And, and also um, so much owed to Frank Frazetta as well. Like, yeah perhaps even more so when you think about it. Um, okay. Awesome. So I just, <laughs> I had to share that story because like, I was like, yeah, man, I'm really into this new origin. Are you collecting that? He's like, no, man. <laughs> and it, he was just like, he was like, just, he was like, just stop talking about it. It's going to be bad for me. I can't. And I was I can't like, all right, all right, fair, fair. Okay, cool. I can't, I can't do that. Uh, okay. So I mentioned we met at uh, what Matt has called essentially Conan camp. Yeah. Um, yeah. Camp Conan, baby. It was, it was fun. Camp? It was fun. It was my first time at Howard Days. We haven't even talked about it. Yeah. We haven't mentioned this at all in the podcast yet, I don't think. Um, but yeah, that was wicked. Uh, great time meeting people. I'm um, seething so with jealousy. The one yeah, year I Dean, couldn't make it. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one too. And it was about gaming, which I think really kind of hurts you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. D Dean, are you, are you a regular attendee of, of, uh, I've been three times. Days? I've been okay. three times. Um, this was the first one that, you know, well, there was one that didn't happen. Um, but I wasn't able to go this year. It just didn't work out. And of course it was related to gaming and Howard and Conan and boy, that just ticks off all the boxes for me. I'm a huge gamer and, you know, the opportunity to meet people like yourself and, and meet up again with Matt and other people would have just been perfect. And there's people that I've met through this podcast that have been going to Howard the same uh, Howard days, the same time that I've been. And I didn't even know it. Mm -hmm. Jason Carney, uh, you know, other people. And I'm like, wow, we've been in breathing the same air at Howard days. And we never talked to each other except through the podcast. And I was like, Gosh darn it! So, hopefully next year we'll see what happens. Well, yeah, and this guy was all over the stage and 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 yapping up a storm. And uh, M M MJ MJ had had his moments there a couple mm -hmm. times. Yeah, I had a couple. You know, and actually, I'm really glad that I kind of uh, waited that long to go, just because it gave me time over the years to meet all these people online. So when I arrived there, I was like, oh hey, so and so, you know. So it was uh, it was a long time coming, but it was uh, it was the right moment, I think. And uh, we stayed with uh, at the Conan camp at this. Uh, we can't even disclose the location because we don't want anyone to know about it because it's such a good spot. But uh, yeah, it's there was, always sunny in Philadelphia. References. There know? was there was an Airbnb rented um, at which all everybody a lot of people associated with heroic signatures. Uh, we, we, we shared rooms, um, we shared meals, we shared uh, pool time. Vino. Um, we, yeah, yeah, a little, little booze passed around there, uh, some scotch. Mm -hmm. uh, we watched mm -hmm. some Always Sunny episodes. Um, and we just, we, we laughed. We laughed for about a good three days straight. Um, we did. Which, when you're in West Texas with bugs that are the size of your entire body, uh, sometimes that's a bit difficult in 107 degree <laughs> heat. Um, yeah. yeah. But it was we, oppressively I, hot. Yeah, we had, we had a great time though, um, and it yeah. was weird because I mean, Matt actually, you you socialized a lot more than I did because, um, you know, I was there with my company, with my work company, mm -hmm. and uh, it was actually the first time that, even though we we're a small company, some of us had actually met face to face because right now I'm working remotely, 
Um, and I'll be, you know, I'll be joining them out on the West coast, uh, in a few months, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it was, it was just, it was, it was Conan summer camp, man. It was, it was a blast. Yeah. It was, it, it was, wasn't it? it- it was fast friends too, right? Like everyone oh, was uh, kind of on the same page. So yeah, man, that was a blast. So um, can I ask you real quick for both sure. of you, um, mm-hmm. seeing that it was your first time attending and I've been three times, what was the most, what was the best part of it? What was the most impactful part of Howard days? Uh, well, for me, um, it was honestly just meeting the people. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there's the moment where you see the house, right? And this is something I've seen in pictures so often. And so it's always surreal when you find yourself in that place that you've envisioned. Um, but, you know, looking at the typewriter in the little room. Um, it's literally a of, closet. Like, it's literally yeah. like, you, you know, it's, it's like it's like when you, when, you know, it's like visiting anything else out of the past because, you know, they were they were a smaller people back then. <laughs> Things were not built to this huge scale. Um yeah. and you know, I'm 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 six one, two pounds. <laughs> and um just trying to maneuver through it. And the funny thing is, you know, Howard always, you know, puts this mountainous idealized self of men there, but I can picture him at, at six feet tall and gangly, you know, kind of beefy yet kind of trying to fit into this closet with like yeah. a single bed and a typewriter like right next to it. And it's just like the claustrophobia. Fascinating. I, I, mm, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. For I sure. just had, to, I just wanted to know what uh, everybody's experience is when they go there and they're on the, uh, you know, the hallowed ground, so to speak, what their favorite mm-hmm. experience is. Yeah. And I mean, it was just good. Everyone was super nice. It was, uh, and it's all very compact. So like if you go there, you're, you know, if you're flying and you're going to need to rent a car, but everything is very close proximity, easy yeah. drives. Um, yep. but yeah. Did you get a chance okay. to speak to uh, real quick? Uh, did you get a no, chance to speak to Arlene who is literally the heart and soul of the Howard days? Yeah. She's, she's a gal that puts it all on. Well, yeah. she's kind of like the behind the scenes person. So yeah, Jeez. very welcoming. Very yes. nice. Yep. So. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move on to put the spotlight on our guest here. So, Matt Murray, you uh, have have gained the role of editor at Heroic Signatures. I'm curious how you got there. Uh, I, I guess you probably applied for a job, but you have an interesting uh, resume, and I'm wondering what brought you to get in this lofty position. Well, you know, it, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, just to give you a little uh, background uh, on myself and, and let's, let's do some deep diving here. Um, I have and always will be a uh, comics and animation nerd. Um, and even though I went to film school and was an actor and kind of meandered my way through creative bits here and there, um, Eventually, what happened was I landed as a volunteer at a place called the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art in New York City, which is now part of the Society of Illustrators. Um, and from there, I kind of worked myself up from when I was the volunteer to being the first president and the executive director. And I was the first employee of the place. And one of the ways that happened was, uh, you know, just a, a love and a dedication to those collective art forms and to pop culture in general, 
but I put on uh, an exhibition called uh, Saturday Morning, which covered the golden age of Saturday morning cartoons, which is from 1966 to 1990. And included in that little collection of cartoons is something called the Smurfs. <laughs> um, and the Smurfs uh, is, of course, a property uh, that's familiar to hopefully the world over, um, mm-hmm. but kind of earned its 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 big notch in 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 the pop culture history belt um from 1981 to 1990 uh when it was you know a saturday morning cartoon produced by hanna barbera uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that the those, that cartoon that whole thing is based on a series of comics from belgium that started in 1958 and that was one of the things that i came across when i was researching this exhibit and i had really no idea about um so i kind of delved into that and discussed that a little more at the exhibit and i got it in my head that i was going to jokingly call myself a smurfologist (laughs) and when we were doing the exhibit you know people would come in take a look at the art um and i talked to people because you know i was there and I was the director of the museum, a small little place. Um, and I talked to them and I talked to them about the Smurfs and I uh, would say, Hey, you know, I'm a Smurfologist. And I tell them all these little, little weird facts and stuff like that. Now, what happened was for better or for worse, people started to actually believe me that I was a Smurfologist because they'd never heard of such a thing before. Um, they existed before me, they will exist after me, but nobody had heard it to the extent that I was screaming it to the point where I started to get picked up in um, local magazines and newspapers, but New York city, local magazines and newspapers happen to be, you know, national publications. So mm-hmm. there are things that started having interviews with Matt Murray, Smurfologist and this and that. It got to a point where I started to call myself the world's leading Smurfologist <laughs> and people started to believe me about that as well. And I actually convinced, uh, just through my passion and, and some of the information I offered a friend of mine, a guy named Jim Salakrup, who, if you don't know who he is, um, go look him up. He's one of the most influential figures in comic books from, you know, when he started in 72 to today, Hmm. he picked up the license on the Smurfs with his company called paper cuts. And this is before there was even a movie planned or anything like that. And he had actually spoke to me about bringing over the original Peo comics. Peo is the creator. If you know, if you've seen the Smurfs at the end, it always says Peo. You're like, what the hell is a Peo? Um, which is actually one of the chapters of my first book, The World of Smurfs. Um, so this thing just started to snowball where I was being acknowledged as a, a historian in both animation, specifically the Smurfs and comics. And um, I don't want to say that, oh, man, you know, I, no, I love comics. I always want to be involved. Um, and plus, you know, I have a creative background. So, you know, I started to do things here and there. And eventually uh, I came to the attention of a company called Power Entertainment, um, which uh, was owned and operated by a fellow named Stanley Martin Lieber. Uh, who other people might know as Stan Lee. So uh-huh. I went out to California. Uh, you know, I was in New York. I went out to California and worked directly for and with Stan Lee for about seven years. 
Hmm. Um, and that was, uh, that was some interesting times. Um, <laughs> that was some real interesting times. Um, but while I was out there, uh, you know, you get to meet people and uh, you get to talk to people and, you know, you, you, you travel in certain circles. <laughs> and what happened was I got involved in a couple other projects uh, and a couple other companies. And I did some freelance work with um, Clive Barker's Seraphim. Mm. And I came on as a consultant over there working with uh, his then VP, Mark Miller, and, uh, you know, the rest of their team. And over there, I helped relaunch. They had just got heat. Barker had just gotten back to rights to Hellraiser. So we decided that one of the best ways to celebrate that was to put out a collection of comics that kind of fell in line with how collectively this group of people, Mark and this other guy, Nether, Ben Mears, and another guy named Christian, um, how we engaged with the property when we were kids, which was the comic books, the epic comic books, which was an anthology. And it was like, you know, from Marvel, it was like, you know, mind-blowing and gory and sexy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to take it back to that. And we did Hellraiser Anthology for, for two issue for two collected volumes. And then I worked with the Nightmare on Elm Street property. And, and basically what happened was I had built up a resume where I remember it for you wholesale, right? I'm involved in... <laughs> nostalgia properties or legacy properties, whatever you want to call it, whatever stupid corporate buzzword name you want to put on it. Um, What I do is I take a look at stuff that I loved when I was a kid or that I love still now and try to tap back into that feeling of what it's like for somebody to engage in that at the first time. And Mm -hmm. not only bring that feeling to other people like myself who might've loved something for 40 years, but to try to, enkindle that passion and that love in a new generation of fans. Um, so I kind of, you know, that, that kind of became my bag. Um, and after, uh, pal, um, kind of, you know, I was out on my own trying to, trying to do stuff by myself, which is, you know, is, is, is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was recommended for this heroic signatures deal. And uh, I don't know how much I want to piss off your your listeners, but um, Conan and Robert E. Howard wasn't something that was necessarily on my radar prior. Hmm. Um, you know, like I said, I've loved He-Man my entire life, and that's something that you know it's still you know as as MJ has so eloquently brought up, it's still a struggle with me. <laughs> um, and I understand that, and I had read. Uh, a lot of Howard stories. And I understand, I understood the importance of his writing and coming out of the pulps and, you know, how he helped evolve the genre of swords and sorcery. And, you know, of course, you know, the Conan movie, I grew up knowing the Conan movie because my parents made the mistake of taking me to see the Conan movie when I was, I guess what I would have been five and had to drag their screaming child out of the theater once everybody got their heads cut off. Um, <laughs> so that was my first engagement with Conan, um, being dragged out of a, a, a theater um, by my parents. Were you when, being dragged out because you didn't want to leave or because you were traumatized? All of the above. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, traumatization is, is kind of, a, you know, it's my love language. Uh, <laughs> I did work. Remember, I worked on Hellraiser, if that can yeah. tell you anything about me. Um, 
but you know, they, they picked me, uh, Fred and Jay had an interview with them and, um, you know, talked to them about the Smurfs and they're European. Um, so for me to turn around and say the Smurf comics are going to, you know, the whole history of Frank and Belgian Franco Belgian comics of the fifties and sixties, mm. that's literally what they grew up with. So instantly there was a kind of shorthand between us, mm -hmm. um, which they might not have had with, you know, other, uh, other people who are up for the position. Um, and, you know, people who'd come in there trying to wow them with all of their pre-existing knowledge of Conan or Robert E. Howard and stuff like that. I was coming in with something else. Uh, and, um, I guess I'm speaking for them, but, um, but I think that's kind of what engaged them. And then, you know, just my, my willingness to, to kind of say, Hey, look, man, I am not the person right now. I am not the person who could say in issue 132 of the, blah, 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 you know, but give me about six months and I can be. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's a, yeah, you don't need to be uh, encyclopedic to start. And there's something interesting too, about someone coming to Robert E. Howard's works and really digging into them, you know, way into their adult life because they really blow your hair back in different ways that you might take for granted um, as having experienced them as a young person. I think a lot of people will pick those stories up and be like, Holy, what is this? It was written when it's mm -hmm. crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I got to be honest with you, man, like, um, you know, coming to it, you know, in my, in my forties uh, and having done all these other things and experienced all this other stuff, um, it's been a real kick because like a lot of people, my understanding of Conan, you know, the, the, my base, you know, to touch is, is, is the Schwarzenegger film, right? So if you, if all you really know is a Schwarzenegger film, and the first two stories you read out of the box are Phoenix on the Sword and Tower of the Elephant. Your mind is fucking blown. You're like, goddamn talking elephant. What? Flying space elephants and Cthulhu. I, this is not what I'm thinking of when I think Conan. And yeah. mm -hmm. honestly, I, you know, I would like as an editor and as one of uh, now one of the newer stewards of this brand I would love to bring that sense of wonder back. Um, and it's interesting because you're talking about, you know, what sword and sorcery is now. And I'm interested in hearing that because I think, and even just in having had this job and, and working on it and working on new things, um, you know, has the sense of wonder been drained from sword and sorcery and is realism encroaching on it? I mean, I understand, you know, that can help sell books, but also, I mean, is that, is that draining some of the, the emotional impact mm. of it? You know, so like, how do you want to go about trying to bring back that wonder? Well, I'd like to get it fucking weird again. Like yeah. there should be some weird fucking shit going on, like on every page. Um, you know, it's from a collection called Weird Tales. And I got to tell you, I mean, I've read stuff where it's like, you know, a 300 page book and, you know, there's at least 20 references to eating and drinking sorghum. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I really don't like, and I understand like, you know, there's a, there's a branch of fantasy fans and fantasy readers who want to connect to that. They want the realism of, Oh, Oh, he was drinking sorghum beer. Blah, 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 blah. 
No, man. I want fucking lizard heads and fucking dragons. You know, that's what I want out of stuff. Yeah. But I understand. Love it. Love it. I understand that modern fantasy is right. okay, you know. No, they're just like you, everybody. And I understand that attracts, you know, more casual that that might attract more casual fans or that might attract a certain audience, and that's where fantasy is. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. My that's yeah. my thing, right? And uh, you know what, man? I don't know. I could be wrong. At the end of the day, I could get fired because I'm a fucking weirdo or, you know, my stuff won't sell because it's like, no, nah, man, I'm a fucking elephant heads and weird shit and Cthulhu don't sell. Don't try to sell me sorghum and tell me it's sword and sorcery. You're I think your your instincts feel right to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I have to agree that that sense of wonder is missing and there's just too much real life. I mean, real life is nasty enough. Yeah. Let's have some wonder again. Let's have some magic again. Let's and and things that are that's that's the thing that I love so much about the Conan Tales in particular is that they had things in there that you really didn't see before. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think of things like, you know, uh, Bale Pator the Strangler. Right. Like that's that's totally bonkers. A guy who was raised from a child to strangle and he was like he he cut his teeth on like strangling babies and stuff. And then you've got like like you say, crazy elephant man from the stars who flew here on wings. To, you've to, got to go back carnivorous to, plants and shit like that yeah, is to, cool. Go back to, to go back to Camp Conan. Um, if you missed it, uh, Joel from Funcom. laid down this amazing thing which was completely blew my mind and it blew my like and and it was cool because i got to see it the night before he did it um and it was something i didn't expect and it was something that really kind of just was like wow holy crap yeah in the middle of tower of the elephant there was a page there's pages long monologue where all of a sudden the story turns into fucking Star Wars meets Clan of the Cave Bear, set in space. Mm. What? People don't expect that from Conan. I want to bring that to Conan. I want to bring that. Um, um, you know, I hope that that game gets to see it, but I also hope this, I hope to get, I hope to make something. Yeah. And I would hope to make something that taps into that because that is just eye-opening. Look, this could be anything. This could be everything. Like all of a sudden, a freaking space elephant comes down to the Atlanteans, and you got the coal references in there. You got this and that, and you know, and whenever you see it adapted, it's always like you know, people, you know, you know, you see yeah, Koshin like bone armor. It's like no, this guy had like space armor on. Like yeah. yeah, dude, imagine space armor interacting with Conan. That's in. That's canon. Yeah, that is and, in there. And, Let's get that back out, man. That, that's a, one of the cool ways yeah. we can do it. And there was a tons of other stuff. But I mean, I personally think that that spending 30 pages talking about sorghum beer is not going to do it. No, no, no. And you don't want that. That's the thing. If Conan feels like generic fantasy, you've lost. I mean, and it, it can be good, like it can be enjoyable, but it's disposable and it's not it's not going to have that same click. Like whereas yeah. Howard is describing sci-fi elements without calling it sci-fi, mm-hmm. you know, science fantasy or whatever you want. I mean, that, that, that had only been, that term had only been coined during Howard's lifetime. I mean, that's not even yeah. like, I mean, that, that science fiction is, is, is not, was the, that wasn't even a thing to him. It was just another mm-hmm. aspect of weird fantasy. Right. Yeah. That game, that game they were developing at Funcom, if nothing else, 
should serve as a proof of concept for, for something like, honestly, I would love, um, you know, filmmakers to see it because they just made such interesting creative decisions there. Um, especially like you end up when Conan actually meets Yag Kosha and he tells a story, you become Yag Kosha on planet Yag. Yeah. And you are like fighting this uprising and like blasting lasers out of a staff. That's rad. That's well, that's, that's that's something that I'm definitely, you know, and it's not just my decision. I'm the editor, but you know, remember I have uh, several corporate structures that I work that work above me and we're working Mm -hmm. with publishing partners. Um, but I mean, something like that is definitely something that I want to bring to the table. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's so much more, um, you know, and there's also, you know, there's a lot of internal stuff uh, that goes on. Um, you know, one of the arguments I have is about, you know, let's call him skinny Conan, right? Yeah. Howard does describe Conan, you know, he, like every Howard character uh, he's an idealized version of himself where he's six feet tall with black hair and blue eyes and, you know, is the perfect boxer and blah, 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 right? And over the past, let's say, 30 years or so, people take that literally. And people want to do, um, you know, realistic depictions of Conan. The problem is most times when Howard describes him, he's a gigantic mountain of muscle. And yes, mm-hmm. you have to understand that six foot one, 200 pounds back in 1932 was a gigantic mountain of muscle. Now, if you take the literal of Conan is six foot one, 200 pounds, it doesn't seem impressive nowadays. But when you consider that the average height of everybody else was like five, five and everybody was malnourished, especially if you want to talk about like, you know, the way they depicted, you know, there's some nasty racist depictions of things, blah, 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 blah. you know, he's mm-hmm. going to be gigantic. Drop the fact that, you know, drop, drop, drop the realistic thing. Drop it that he's six foot one, 200 pounds. If you're going to depict everybody else as they are today or within the concepts or the limits or the, the, the expanded perception of the way people are today. Mm-hmm. If you're going to depict Conan, exactly the way Howard described him in, in that kind of detail, he's not going to seem like the massive mountain of man, which is the more important part. Yeah. And I me. think, uh, yeah, I, I think too, it's like, I don't want, uh, everyone's like thinking about pro wrestlers and bodybuilders and it's like, nah, man, you need an actor, but like, if you're going to portray him with a human being, but he, he just, in my opinion, he just needs to kind of stand out. You need mm-hmm. to walk into a room and be like, who the hell's that guy? Right. He doesn't necessarily need to be. He has to have some out. gravitas. Well, you're, you're, yeah. t- you're talking about like the adaptations and films and stuff like that. Yes. Th- there are going to be physical limitations put upon that. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about comic books. I'm oh, talking yeah. about fiction. Right. Once you get into an adaptation of something. Yeah. You know what? You got to cut your corners. Right. Mm-hmm. They lucked out in 1982 or 81, wherever they cast it, when they found a six foot three guy who was Mr. Olympia, right? Mm-hmm. Like think about it also in terms of the Hulk back in 1977, 78, they were, they had jaws. They had freaking Richard Keel cast as the Hulk because, <laughs> you know, in modern senses, all right, yeah, the guy's like six, eight and he's imposing. And then all of a sudden, you know, the producer's kid saw Lou Ferrigno and was like, 
Oh no, wait, that's the Hulk. Right. And even then Lou Ferrigno for now doesn't seem like this massive imposing thing, but back then. Yeah. yeah. And no, nice. was he, was he a John Buscema, you know, three feet wide, you know, no, but that's the closest you can get. Schwarzenegger, yeah. they lucked out because that's that was actually the closest you can get. For you know, he looked like a Rosetta painting. Mm-hmm. And even then, right? Let's think about this. When uh, Gnome and you know the older companies, or even you know Weird Tales itself, first depicting Conan, the dude <laughs> looked like Steve Reeves, right? He's walking around in a gladiator outfit, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. And and he looks like just some this some regular dude, but that seemed impressive back in the 30s and 50s, mm-hmm. right? Then all of a sudden, Frazetta came around, was just like, oh, <laughs> and put this freaking, you know, ridiculous, overly muscled dude in a loincloth, which was revolutionary. And it tapped back into the sense of wonder that people had in 32. In the 60s, he brought that and he created and engendered a whole feeling of people who grew up with that, where they, when it came for their time to create those stories, gave us Arnie. Right. Yeah. So yeah. We need to tap back into that sense of wonder and figure out where that's going to take us. What's going to yeah. make, what's going to put Conan back on the map? Because my opinion, he's not a regular bodybuilder, right? No. We got used to bodybuilders. Mm-hmm. What's going to make us pick up our jaws Mm-hmm. And, you know, and one of the things is, you know, one of my, I guess one of my editorial mandates moving forth is, all right, look, you know, in the comics or in the books, look, if you're going to depict Conan as just strictly six foot one muscle bound guy, he's a normal dude that people can relate with. Everything else better be fucking batshit crazy yeah. because you need that. You fine. People need to relate to, to Conan specifically, and you're going to do that physically or through like, you know, using modern language or using this or that, everything else going on around him better be fucking weird because otherwise it's not Conan. It's yeah. not the spirit of Conan. Here, here. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's my I, rant. That's it. And I think you're kind of referring to like new stories with Conan, right? Not adaptation, but like the new stuff should well, no, be. No, adaptation is, is part of it too. But I mean, yeah, new stories and new. Adaptation, I mean, you have less to do in terms of, it's all, the weird is already there. You just got to render it cool. Right. But I mean, you right. know, it's like, uh, you know, my, 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 my purview is, you know, the comics and the books and the audio books and associated other printed materials. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking to do. Um, you know, and it's going to, it might take me a while to be able to get the resources and the people involved to get there. Um, but I hope to get there sometime within my tenure, however long that is. Um mm-hmm. But, you know, that's, that's, to me, that's Conan. That's, let's, let's get weird kids because that's, that's what it is. I mean, it, to me, to me, it's less, you know, the middle Conan where it's just, you know, and even, you know, even Howard scholars will tell you, man, Howard was bored having to throw in, you know, the money makers, you know, all right, all right, here's another thing. Here's a chick. Here's a thing. Here's a, You know, where you could you can feel the energy and you can you can sense, you know, the way, you know, D'Onofrio depicted him in the whole wide world. You can sense that in <laughs> mm-hmm. the early stories. And I think yeah. that's 
I mean, those are the cojones right there, man. That's that's what that's what we're trying to. That's what I would like to seize, and I hope that's what people want because uh, hopefully that's what they'll get in the next couple of years. Uh, you know, it's gonna be. It might might be. It might not come instantly at first, but I really want to try to bring us there. I really. I think. I think that's where it belongs. Love it. Uh, hashtag bring back Savage Sword of Conan, the real Savage Sword of Conan. What does that mean, the real Savage Sword of Conan, MJ? Well, there was a, one that Marvel did called Savage Sword of Conan, but it was just a regular comic book that was, uh, you know, colored Marvel comic. It was just right. So you're talking about maybe something that's like, let's say, magazine size. Mm, yes. Black, yes. white, halftone. Yes. Um, really awesome deep shadow. Yes. Let's yes. say it's got some adult content. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. where, you know, Conan the Barbarian, you can allude to the blood and the sex. This kind of lets you really dig into it and has short form fiction, which is really the best way Conan works. And let's say it comes out quarterly because, you know, <laughs> Uh, you know, in modern things, it's probably going to end up costing somewhere between seven and 10 bucks an issue. Mm-hmm. And you can't sit there and constantly hit somebody up every month for 10 bucks an issue. But, you know, let's see if it comes out every three months, a black and white magazine size. 44 to 66 pages so you get a good four or five stories that are told by people who really can dig into some of the stuff you know i happen to like people like uh gerardo zafino and mm. i happen to like people like roberto della torre and mm. um there's some amazing storytellers out there i think who could really kind of get into that modern storytellers you can get into that kind of aesthetic that that happened in 1970 what three four uh, 1974, mm-hmm. Savage Sword of Conan first came out. So maybe something along the lines like, you know, if something were to happen like around the anniversary. Yeah. The yeah. 50th anniversary of Savage Sword of Conan, where somebody were to say, hey, man, let's give this another shot and mm-hmm. let's go back to those roots. I would love to see something like that. That happen. would think, really be nice. I, I think that would make the fans happy. I think that would make the creators happy. I know. You tell me. I think you're. I think you're right. You're onto <laughs> something. You're onto something. You should run with that idea. I think. I. I you know what, man? I don't know. I. I, yeah. I have to really think about it. I think I you should run really, with that idea. I have to really think about it. Again, as I said before, I think your instincts are right. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Um, you know, it's also it's it's what I like, and again, that goes back to things it's like it's bringing things that I like about something. If I like, if I like, you know, whether you brought me onto the Smurfs, or Hellraiser, or Nightmare on Elm Street, or you know, whatever properties I've worked on, Stan Lee stuff. Um, it's a matter of when I approach it, what do I like about it? If I like it, odds are there's at least two other people out there that like it. And yeah. if I can get those two other people to buy it, I, 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 I did my spiritual job. If I can get more people to buy it, then I get to, you know, turn my lights on and pay my bills. No pressure, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's true though. Uh, you know, as a as something of a creator myself, a book of ta- blades now available on Amazon.com. <laughs> yeah, that's that's only got one of my stories in there. That's everyone else there is hitting at a, a higher. Editors are creators, my friend. Editors yeah. are creators. That's true. Um, but I, I guess what I'd say is that's the same sort of thing I do when I'm doing the game design, right? I take the things I like about the Conan stories, I try to adapt them, and 
that even comes down to the importance of the mechanics of the game. If the mechanics of your game are convoluted and slow, that's completely antithetical to pulp. So it needs to move. It needs to be good. Um, it needs to be exciting. And hell yeah, it even needs to be weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's just an easy thing. I mean, that's an easy thing for, 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 for me to say and to try to do. Mm -hmm. is to say, all right, well, what's, what do I feel is missing or what elements do I feel should be emphasized and yeah. go with it from there. But I mean, you know, uh, Conan is easy to talk about because it's the prettiest girl, you know, he's the prettiest girl at the dance uh, uh, in my uh, particular thing. But, um, you know, my purview doesn't end there. I mean, I'm looking at Solomon Kane, mm -hmm. and uh, I really, really, really uh, at some point get to, talk about something i hope i get to talk about something that um uh is really exciting to me uh uh in terms of bringing bringing him back in a way that maybe he's never even been experienced in a modern setting uh to a modern audience um brand mac morn yeah um, oh yeah there's somebody that nobody knows who the hell that is, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about, you know, not your listeners, but I mean right. everybody yeah. else, right? Mm -hmm. Like you go brand Mac Moore and it's like, yeah, I bought that cereal the other day. It's like, oh no, 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 no. Yeah, um, yeah. Dark Agnes, which uh, you know, Dark Agnes uh had a series at Marvel that the pandemic shut down. Uh there's still material on that that I'd love mm -hmm. to get to market. Um you know, Sailor Steve Costigan, who's a bit, might be a bit of a difficult thing for modern audiences, but I think recontextualizing him and finding the root of who he is, uh, he's not sword and sorcery, but he's REH, um, you know, and the same thing with, uh, was it Beckenridge Elkins, who's like his frontier guy. Mm -hmm. I really would like to tap into a lot of, I mean, I got a really cool toy box. I want to see a new uh, yeah. television adaptation of Pigeons from Hell. That oh my! Do you realize? Uh, I've heard say, and I, I, you know, I can't, I can't be directly quoted on this because I'm not directly quoting, but doing the comics adaptation on that like broke Joe Lansdale. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, hey man, stuff was written in the 30s. It was a different time. You know um, what? Yeah. It was a different time, but boy, is that an outstanding story. Uh, and, and it's it's cited by so many. Oh. Stephen King, Margaret yeah. Atwood from The Handmaid's Tale says that's like one of her favorite stories. Yeah, um, and she's yeah. Canadian, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, think, I think I think Del Toro's name checked. Guillermo Del Toro's name checked it. Everybody, you know, anybody who's everybody uh, um, or everybody who's anybody in um, genre uh, fiction or genre, you know, genre IP tends to name check Pigeons from Hell and Howard. Uh, and I mean that's. That's something that I feel if, uh, you know, working with, uh, and I've spoken to Fred about this, Fred, my, my, my boss, um, you know, working with the right creative team, um, there's ways that we can actually bring it about where it does include some of the sketchier, non-modern um, elements because Howard himself for 1932 west texas was yeah. pretty progressive mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh you yeah know? it's not especially when you compare him to somebody like lovecraft right 
Whereas, yeah. and again, Lovecraft sort of uh, started to evolve in those views over the course of his life. But, you know, as we've always said on this show, it's like, you can't deny these things. Um, you acknowledge them and you contextualize and then you, you don't Move on. throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I, I, you know, that's something that we're working on. We're, we're looking to bring some of the Howard stories back into the market and, you know, we're speaking to people and we're trying to figure out, okay, um, look, you know, we can't go through it with a completely um, academic view of we need to present Howard exactly uh, as, as he depicted it and blah, no. blah, blah, blah. No, no. Sometimes all you need to do is shave a word and all of a sudden it, exactly. becomes, it becomes what it was meant to be. You know, you can't, yeah. you know, it's, it's debating, you know, literalism versus the spirit of Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because so many of those works are public domain anyways, you're not going to lose the original files. It's just about Still making something. Yeah, exactly. So you're not you're not actually censoring and destroying. You're just making something be able to move past its time period. And with that requires change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just want to say Bram McMoran would be dope. Um, I'm on record as saying Worms of the Earth is my uh, favorite Robert E. Howard tale. Right on. I've written essays about it. I've uh, read the adaptations. I read the story frequently. So let's go, Bran McMorn. Yeah. Well, hopefully, um, hopefully, uh, you'll be seeing him on a comic shelf in 2023. Sick. Awesome. Maybe, right, maybe, maybe to cover by Mike Mignola. I don't know. Teaser. Be, uh, Mike Mignola on Worms of the Earth stuff with, with that flavor. Mike, Mike, Mike Mignola on, on a cover. On a cover. Yeah. Not, you know, but Still, maybe, whatever. fingers crossed. I don't know. I heard things. Whatever. Covers are important, man. Yep. As you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gents. We've been at this for a while. Uh, I'm sorry, man. I talk too much. No, no, no. This was fantastic. Yeah, man. Thank you. It was all very interesting, uh, interesting well, I, perspective. And it, it gives the hope, listeners something, you know. Hopefully, to, hopefully I don't lose my job before I get to really start it. No, you're not going to lose your job. <laughs> you didn't do anything. Please, um, no. Let me let me ask you this last question. Um, this isn't to spoil anything, but do you anticipate for the Conan panel at uh, Comic Con for any announcements that we've not heard yet? Do you suppose we will hear some concrete thing? Oh God, uh, I will. It's probably what, a Fred man? Momberg question. No, well, here's the thing: if this podcast was being recorded at the end of the week, mm-hmm. I'd be able to say yes. Uh, I have meetings this week in regards to that. And also just because of the changing nature of the Comic-Con panel, because we expected one thing, but because half the people that we thought were going to be there aren't going to be there, we're doing something else. Um, okay. There will be some really cool guests. Um, and I hope that I get to make one solid announcement in terms of moving the property forward. That's all that we tell you. Well, you know, you and I both know some things that not everyone else knows just because we were at Conan camp, Yep. which is really making me itchy. I want to talk, but of course I will not. Um, so I hope we, uh, we learn some more and uh, we can get into the discourse online and get angry at each other. And uh, Absolutely. Fight over isn't, isn't that what <laughs> fandom's all about? Yeah, it is. And, it is uh, these days. I'll, I'll, I'll make this promise to you, MJ. Yeah. And to you now, Dean, my, my new friend. Um, if you guys, uh, you know, if and when I can make announcements, um, you know, besides the, the, usual, the usual outlets that I get turned to, um, my door is always open if you guys would like to have me or other people who I am working with on, and we'd love to talk to you about our projects here. Uh, 100%. That's, 
hundred percent. Yes. Thank you. So I, uh, unofficial official, um, you know, you know, I, I've, I've loved, I love this podcast and um, you know, if I can get your fans some, some cool stuff, man, let's, let's work together on doing it. You know, you know, I'm down. That's what this yeah. is for, man. Cool. Uh, Doors always open, man. Uh, you know, if you guys, right. and if you guys want to rake me over the coals once, once I start and you know, I'm not living up to my, to my promises, man, bring me on. Yeah. And I would love to have my chops busted. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I think you'd be all right, man. <laughs> I think you got the right direction in mind. All right. So folks, uh, to wrap up, uh, thanks Matt Murray for, uh, joining us today. It was illuminating. My um, thanks to all the listeners. Absolutely. Um, thank you to our contributors for a book of blades. It is available on Amazon. You should check it out. Uh, keep an ear on comic-con, which is coming up, uh, closer to the end of the month. And if I don't hear from you, if the rogues aren't back before Gen Con, uh, I will be at Gen Con and I'll post some details. So, um, we can meet. Um, and with that, may your swords always remain sharp. <laughs>